Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hello and welcome to The Sidebar, presented by True Crime Daily, taking you inside the courtrooms of high-profile and notorious cases from across the country. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. I'm a criminal defense lawyer based in Los Angeles and previously an L.A. County prosecutor for nearly a decade. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ or at JoshuaRitter.com. We are recording this on Friday, December 15th, 2023. And today we wanted to close out the year by doing something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to take a look back at 2023 and discuss some of the biggest cases and verdicts from the year. Looking back on the year, we realized uh, just how much took place in the legal and true crime space. And there was no way that we could possibly adequately do justice to every single one of the cases that we talked about or all of the cases that were even worth talking about. But we did our best to kind of sample three areas that we thought were best representative of the year that was 2023. So first, 2023 saw true uh, development and even some closure in the arc of the Me Too movement, including convictions for Danny Masterson and Harvey Weinstein and an acquittal for Kevin Spacey. Also, we saw several cases that dominated national headlines for weeks at a time, including the trial and convictions of both Alex Murdoch and Lori Vallow, as well as the ongoing saga in the Idaho multiple murder prosecution of Brian Koberger. And finally, we take a look back at breaking developments in cases that went unsolved for years, but had some breakthroughs in this year, namely the Gilgo Beach murders, the tragic Delphi slangs of two young teens, and the arrest of a suspect in the shooting death of Tupac Shakur. So we're going to jump into those cases now. First, while 2023 was five years removed from the height of the Me Too movement, some of the most high-profile cases which kick-started its inception finally saw juries this year. Let's look back. First, out of Los Angeles, California, though the media mogul was convicted on charges of rape and sexual misconduct back in December of last year, it wouldn't be until 2023 that we saw a sentence for the disgrace movie executive Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein, who was already serving a 23-year sentence in New York for similar crimes, was convicted by the jury of eight men and four women of three of seven charges. As a result, Weinstein was sentenced to 16 years in prison in an emotional hearing, which saw many of the victims of Weinstein's assaults confront their abuser. The sentence will be served consecutively to his sentence in New York. 
This to me uh, was remarkable because he really is uh, the face, arguably, of the Me Too movement. Now we've seen this come full circle with a conviction both in New York and a conviction here in Los Angeles. And I think another thing this case did is it demonstrated how difficult it can be for victims to testify. I mean, this isn't just about them telling their story. It's also about them telling their story in a courtroom where they're going to be under the rigors of cross-examination. And they did go under quite extensive cross-examination in this case, even the governor's own wife. And it really demonstrates how we talk a lot about people being able to tell their truth and victims coming forward. But many times we don't appreciate what that really means if you're going to actually convict someone and hold them accountable in a court of law. And the other thing about this case is that there's still appeals pending. And I wouldn't be surprised if we hear some of these issues come up again, especially in New York, where there seems to be a pretty solid argument uh, about some of the prior uncharged crimes that were used in that case. So we'll continue to update you on that. But moving down the hall of that very same courthouse here in Los Angeles, another Hollywood figure received belated justice in 2023 after a retrial that involved a once beloved actor in the Church of Scientology. Danny Masterson of that 70s show fame was sentenced to 30 years to life for the forcible rape of two women. Though the assault occurred more than 20 years prior to the trial, a jury found the actor guilty for the rape of two of the victims while deadlocking on charges related to a third. Scientology was a central figure in this case, with the women claiming that they hadn't come to police um, earlier with their allegations because church officials had dissuaded them, threatening excommunication. However, a key detail in the retrial was evidence that Masterson had drugged the women prior to the assaults, which prosecutors and witnesses were allowed to reference. Though there was no forensic evidence presented on the drug counts, it proved to be the edge prosecutors need in gaining conviction. This case, I think, demonstrated just how difficult retrials um, can be and how remarkably different the outcome of a retrial can be. Here we had a case where you had a hung jury that favored acquittal on every single count the first time around that he was tried. And then a complete 180 on that, or not 180, but a, a near reversal on the thinking of the jury the second time around. And you can argue that a lot of that had to do with some of the rulings that the judge made, but a lot of that had to do with the advantage that's given to the prosecution on essentially getting a dry run the first time around. I know this, I, having experienced a retrial myself uh, that hung, uh, a very difficult case that went on for weeks. I was very frustrated. This is at my time as a prosecutor. It hung. And on the retrial, I was able to absolutely slim that case down to its bare and essential bones and present that in a way that we were able to secure a verdict. Um, so it does show you how even in these cases where it looks like retrial might be futile for the prosecution, it's oftentimes worth the effort. And I think this case also talked about how late reporting in cases with no forensic evidence can be so difficult and something that if an explanation like what was provided here with Scientology is not given to the jury, it can be very problematic for the prosecution. 
And finally, uh, we move across the pond to the United Kingdom, where Kevin Spacey, another actor who made Me Too headlines, also faced a jury in 2023, but with a very different conclusion. In July of this year, the actor was cleared of sexual assault allegations, which were leveled against him by four different men in the United Kingdom. Though prosecutors deemed Spacey a sexual bully, the once revered thespian took the stand in his own defense, winning over the jury with a name dropping testimony peppered with showbiz anecdotes. The move worked in Spacey's favor and the performer thanked the jurors in an emotional address following the verdict. I think this case demonstrates uh, what sometimes is unappreciated about the wide divide between allegations, what somebody says to the media, what somebody claims on social media and actually securing a criminal conviction, that there is a big difference between accusing someone of something and actually being able to prove that in court. I think this case also talked about the transparency that is enjoyed in the United States that is sometimes not enjoyed in other countries where we did not have uh, cameras in the courtroom. There was very little uh, uh, as, as way of understanding what took place during these proceedings other than what came out of reports. And I think it also um, this case talks about the idea of the court of public opinion versus the court of law. Kevin Spacey has now been acquitted of every uh, case that he's been um, uh, brought into, whether those been, have been criminal. A criminal case was dismissed out of uh, Massachusetts. He had a civil case where he won a verdict. And now this case in the UK where he was also acquitted. And it begs the question, does that entitle him to have a recovery of his reputation? And will he re ever recover from that or should he? And I don't even know if those are answers that we have, but certainly questions worth asking. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Another area we wanted to touch on are big murder cases that seize the national spotlight, personifying some of our worst fears. We certainly saw that out of Walterboro, South Carolina, where in terms of sheer criminal counts, no one had a bigger year than Alex Murdoch. The disgraced former lawyer faced a litany of charges related to his financial crimes, but the most tragic were the murder counts for the shooting deaths of his wife and son. Murdoch, the son of prominent legal dynasty, was convicted for the deaths of Maggie Murdoch and Paul Murdoch after three hours of jury deliberations. For the convictions, Murdoch received two life sentences. He later pled guilty to a number of financial crimes, adding decades to his prison sentence. However, this isn't the end of the legal saga for Alex Murdoch, as allegations of jury tampering could result in his conviction being overturned. It's a case we'll continue to monitor and deliver updates in the new year. And I will say this, I think he's got a real chance on appeal in this jury tampering issue. You do not see this kind of conduct from courtroom staff, especially from the head clerk, the person who's essentially in charge of shepherding that jury to and from court, making sure that they are protected from any kind of outside influence and for them to be the one who's now accused. Nothing's been proven 
but there are allegations that certainly carry some weight that she was um, inappropriately involved in that sacred deliberation process that only jurors should be, be taking part in. And I think the other thing that this case demonstrated is just how difficult it is for a defendant to testify and be convincing. Now, you had a case here that had some strengths, also had some weaknesses, and you had a defendant testify. And if you're going to argue that any defendant would be qualified to take the stand, it's Alex Murdoch. Here's a man who spent his living uh, being a trial attorney and cross-examining people and being able to understand what the crucible of cross-examination is like. And I thought he actually did well for himself, aside from some of the obvious issues of answering questions as to why he lied to police. But we oftentimes say to ourselves, well, if I were innocent, I would take the stand. But I think this case demonstrates just how difficult it is for anyone to take the stand, even if you're very qualified and understand what cross-examination can entail. We will continue to watch that case as its appeals unfold. But in the meantime, in a case that had the public gripped with suspense, the alleged doomsday mom, Lori Vallow, was sentenced to life for the deaths of her children, a romantic rival. Vallow, whose son J.J. Vallow and daughter Tylee Ryan were found murdered on the property of her fifth husband, Chad Daybell, plans to appeal the decision. However, she is facing additional murder charges in Arizona. Meanwhile, her husband, Chad Daybell, is still awaiting trial on the same charges for the death of the children and murder of his first wife, Tammy Daybell. Something that may differentiate his proceedings from Vallow's will be the presence of cameras in the courtroom. While cameras were kept, kept out of Lori's trial, the public will have full view of Chad's with his defense filing a motion to allow spectators, which I think is a good thing. Uh, few things disturb us more than a parent taking the life of their own children. And I think this case really brought that home. And it kind of helps us understand as to why it's getting so much attention. We just can't understand, wrap our heads around that kind of evil and and cruelty uh, to take the life of your own children and then behave the way that they did. And I think that the, the retrial of Chad Bay Daybell will be remarkably different from the trial that we saw of Lori Vallow. Lori Vallow did not throw Chad Daybell under the bus. She did not try to show that he was really the mastermind in all of this. I'm going to say that I think Chad Daybell has a bit of a different take on all of this. And I think that he's going to say, hey, you've already convicted one person. She's really the person who's responsible. I had no idea she was going to do all of this. She took a lot of what I was saying as far as religious ideology and went way too far with it. I don't know. That's just my prediction. I'm also going to make another crazy prediction about this case. I think that Lori Vallow has truly drank the Kool-Aid and she's all in on all of this and believing that Chad Daybell is some sort of apostle brought back to earth. Um, and she is now available as a witness. And if Chad Daybell's defense team were to call her, I think it would be crazy. I think it would be a remarkable move. And I also think that I'm going to go ahead and predict that that could be very well could be a possibility. She could testify, say, I've already been convicted. I'm the one who's responsible with, for this. And Chad had nothing to do with it. We'll see. In the meantime, we move finally to Moscow, Idaho, where last year's quadruple murder of four students living in their off-campus home left a small Idaho community 
and the nation at large in shock. Public interest and outrage mounted as police searched for the killer who stabbed Kaylee Gonzalez, Madison Mogan, Zena Kernodo, and Ethan Chapin. Authorities eventually announced the arrest of Brian Koberger for the killings and legal maneuverings have taken place throughout the year ahead of his trial. DNA evidence, specifically genetic genealogy, was used in support of Koberger's arrest. However, his defense has been working to present contradictory testimony from experts that make take some of the sting out of those arguments. Allegedly, this opposing evidence proved so inflammatory that FBI agents approached a defense witness after her testimony, according to Koberger's defense. This is only one of the issues which has delayed the trial, which doesn't seem poised to begin anytime soon. However, when trial does start, hammers are expected to be allowed in the courtroom, giving the speculative public some level of transparency in the case. This really is the stuff of nightmares. I, I remember when this story broke. It was just one of those things that you Keeps you up at night, the the idea that something like this could happen. Innocent people sleeping in their own home and they're stabbed and murdered, four of them in one night, all innocent kids. I think the other thing this case demonstrates is that the defense has shown a willingness to fight this on every single front. And I think that they intend to. And I am going to say that I think they're going to give the prosecution quite a fight. I think the prosecution has a very strong case, but the defense has shown that they will take no quarter in what they're willing to do and argue in this case. But in the end, I think it really all comes down to DNA. His DNA was found on a sheath that was likely the murder weapon that was found underneath one of the victims in that home. How you get around that as his defense team, I have no idea. Finally, this year saw murder mysteries begin to reach their conclusion following years of speculation. The first was a remarkable development out of Long Island, New York. Though many deaths of sex workers tragically go unsolved and unprosecuted, one case out of Long Island may have identified a serial killer and finally given voice to his alleged victims. Rex Huerman, a Manhattan architect was arrested in July of this year for the murders of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. The three victims, who were all allegedly sex workers, were found in a remote stretch along Long Island's Gilgo Beach back in 2010. The case, which went without a suspect for years, heated up this summer when authorities allegedly found DNA on a pizza crust Huerman dis discarded in the trash. Our authorities claim the DNA matches DNA found on wrappings used to cover the victims before their disposal. While there is still no trial date scheduled for the suspected serial killer, Huerman is expected back in court on February 6th of next year as authorities continue to investigate if the man is involved in any additional unsolved deaths. This case really showed us just how tenacious and even inventive detective work can lead to incredible breakthroughs. You had the use of DNA evidence. You had the use of surveillance. You had the use of um, cell phone records. The affidavit in this case is absolutely remarkable in that they went to the effort of cutting off any possible defense that Huberman may have had as to why he was at certain locations during certain times, near certain cell phones at certain times, all that we, that um, as a patchwork pin him to these crimes. So it will be, if that's any indicator and preview of what's to come, it will be a fascinating to, trial to watch. 
Also in Delphi, Indiana, after years of questions and theories, two different suspect sketches and a grainy footage of a man on a bridge, the murder mystery of two teens may finally be approaching a conclusion. Richard Allen was arrested last year for the slings of Abby Williams and Libby German, two teens who went for a hike on Indiana's Monon High Bridge Trail, but were never seen alive again. While details linking Allen to the crime have been scant, authorities claim that unspent rounds found near the girl's burial site matched a weapon owned by the Delphi resident. In a shocking twist in the case, Allen's defense claims that he is innocent and that the crimes were linked to a sacrificial pagan cult ritual perpetuated by practitioners of Odinism. Following the outlandish allegations, Allen's defense attorneys were removed from the case after an associate allegedly leaked um, crime scene photos depicting Abby and Libby's death. The suspected killer is now fighting to have his attorneys reinstated and insisting a trial commence within the next 70 days. Whether or not he regains his attorney's or desired trial date will be determined by the Indiana Supreme Court, which is expected to weigh in after a hearing scheduled for mid-January. Many times um, we don't appreciate all of the twists and turns that a case can take before it ever sees the light of day. And this case really demonstrates that in my experience, sometimes a case can take years, especially in these very involved murder cases, before it ever sees the light of day in court at trial. And that many times does not have to do with just attorneys taking their sweet time. It has to do with these weird twists and turns. And here you have a case where the judge has removed attorneys. Now you have the client, the defendant demanding that those attorneys be assigned back to him. Does he have a constitutional right to that? When can the judge uh, limit that right. All of these types of questions need to be answered, and that takes time to do. But finally, we turn to Las Vegas, Nevada, where in another long-awaited conclusion, prosecutors announced the indictment of a suspect for the 1996 murder of beloved rapper Tupac Shakur. Though many speculated of grandiose conspiracy theories involving the famous figures of the East Coast versus West Coast rap feuds of the 90s, authorities claimed the murder was all instigated over a necklace. Kivi D, a self-described gangster and now aging man in his 60s, was indicted on one count of murder with a deadly weapon in the shooting. The man had been on police radar for years prior to his arrest as one of the few active witnesses to Tupac's death that didn't wind up incarcerated or dead. In search of a Henderson, Nevada home prior to Keefe D's arrest, allegedly provided the final pieces of the puzzle to indict the former gangster. However, it wasn't the only alleged evidence. In a 2019 memoir called Compton Street Legend, Keefe D claimed to have been in the car that fired the fatal shots at Tupac and even boasted about providing the gun used in the shooting. While the street code practiced by gangsters generally prohibits giving evidence to authorities, Keefe D may have sealed his own fate through his memoir and public interviews. Ultimately, a jury will be the judge when the 60-year-old faces trial, which is scheduled for June of next year. I think what this case demonstrates more than anything is that oftentimes cases that are unsolved are really cases that are uncharged. And that not all uncharged cases are necessarily unsolved cases. It sounds like police knew they had their man for a long period of time, and it just took enough evidence or a prosecutor willing to take the risk 
to finally go ahead and charge this man for a crime that many people have been hoping for for a long period of time. Well, as we close out our second full year of doing this podcast, we have grown a lot and learned a lot. I personally wanted to take this opportunity to express my gratitude, first of all, to all the folks involved in the production of this podcast, to Will and Noah for all of your help every single week and everything that you do from the to producers, to audio folks, to editors. It really does take an army and they all truly deserve credit for what this podcast has become. And of course, we want to thank you, the listeners and viewers, for continuing to give your time and attention to the show as we strive to bring you breaking news and legal analysis on the latest cases. We obviously could not still be doing this if it were not for people like you plugging in every single week to listen and watch. And for that, we are extremely grateful. If you haven't already, please subscribe and like the hit, uh, hit the like button to see more videos and coverage like this. Thank you again for your support. Have a wonderful new year and holiday season. We look forward to seeing you next year. I'm your host, Joshua Ritter. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua Ritter ESQ or at joshuaritter.com. You can find all of our sidebar episodes wherever you get your podcast. And please, we do want to hear from you. If you've got questions or comments you'd like us to address, tweet us your questions with the hashtag TCD sidebar. And thank you again for joining us at the True Crime Daily sidebar. <laughs>